Yeah, if you can. Well, once again, obviously on a day like today, we want to celebrate the resurrection and talk a little bit about what Jesus did for us and its relevance for our lives. I'm just simply calling this the wonders of the resurrection. So I want you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read a couple of different passages from this chapter, verses 1 through 8. And then we're going to jump down to verse 12 and read a little bit. It's good. You know, I like to let the Scriptures do the talking, right? Our faith is based upon the Word of God. So we need to let the Scriptures do the talking. So we're going to be looking at a lot of verses today. You won't have to turn to all of them. We'll just have you turn to this one, and then we'll mention some others. It's always a good idea to write down, jot down the Scriptures, make sure the preacher's telling the truth, make sure I'm not adding any Scriptures in there. I'm just kind of kidding. I'm not going to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James and by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Then verse 12, Now Christ has preached that that he was raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified that God raised up Christ from the dead, who He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. But since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. As Paul affirms, if Christ is not risen, then our faith is futile. The resurrection, as we know, is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. If it's not true that Christ rose from the dead, then none of this is true. In fact, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, we're really kind of wasting our time even by being here talking about it today. But if Christ is risen from the dead, if that is true, then by comparison, nothing is important if one does not believe in the reality of the resurrection. It reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, said. He said, if Christianity is not true, then it is no importance. But if Christianity is, is true, it is of ultimate importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. <laughs> and so, of course, we know that it is ultimately important because Christ indeed rose from the dead. Now, we've presented you know, proofs of the resurrection and previous Easter messages. I've taught Christian apologetics in Bible school, and I can tell you there are a lot of good scholarly works that give the evidences for the resurrection, as well as wonderful popular works such as Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. If you've ever seen the movie, you know how he went on a two-year mission to try to disprove his wife's crazy Christian faith, and ended up becoming a believer because the evidence was just so overwhelming. But today instead, I want to take a moment to consider the impact of the resurrection on our lives. What does it mean for us if it's true? So I want to take a look at this from a little bit different perspective. So you ready for a little bit of a story? In 1946, a movie was made that was actually a box office disaster. 
It was a critical success, but it didn't even come close to making back its production costs. In fact, the movie was perceived so negatively by the studios that it permanently affected the career of its director, Frank Capra. It starred an actor recently come back from World War II, a brigadier general that some of you might remember by the name of Jimmy Stewart, also starred Donna Reed. Interestingly, many years later, after it was considered to be a commercial and box office flop, while somebody was going through the movies looking for one to show at their local station, they stumbled upon this movie called It's a Wonderful Life and decided to show it because it cost next to nothing to air it. Of course, as you know, it caught on and it became a staple of the Christmas season. And since that time, of course, it has become a classic and has been ranked on the most prestigious best of movie list, either at the very top or very near the top ever since. The director, Frank Capra, told the Wall Street Journal in 1984, the film has a life of its own now and I can look at it like I had nothing to do with it. I'm like a parent whose kid grows up to be president. I'm proud, but it's the kid who did the work. I didn't even think of it as a Christmas story when I ran across it. I just liked the idea. In a 1946 interview, Capra described the film's theme as the individual's belief in himself and that he made it to combat a modern trend toward atheism. In an interview with Michael Parkinson in 1973, James Stewart declared that of all the movies he made, It's a Wonderful Life was his favorite. Now, for those of you that have been living under a rock for the last several days, Decades, let me tell you a little bit about the idea behind the movie. Jimmy Stewart, as you know, plays George Bailey, an ambitious young man whose real dream is of leaving the sleepy little town of Bedford Falls where he grew up and traveling the world and making it big in the world. However, with the death of his father, George is forced to follow his father's tired footsteps and take over the failed building and loan business his father and absent-minded Uncle Billy had started. After a string of disappointments deter him from his big dreams, uh, indefinitely, George faces a real crisis when his Uncle Billy loses the money of the business and George faces serious trouble for the discrepancy in their records. In a fit of despair, George, believing that he would be better off to his loved ones dead rather than alive, attempts to commit suicide, but is rescued by by his fumbling guardian angel Clarence. You all remember Clarence from the Bible, of course. Anyway, Clarence demonstrates to George the value of his life by showing him what would have happened had he never been born. He discovered that his life had indeed been valuable as he sees what would have happened and what would have been the fate of all those he helped had he never been born. Bedford Falls becomes instead Pottersville and is filled with casinos and nightclubs. Mr. Gower, the druggist, is a shell of the man George knew, having been recently released from prison for manslaughter since George wasn't there to keep him from accidentally putting poison in the pills. The old building alone is long since defunct as George was not there to keep it going and his friends Ernie the cab driver and Bert the cop are darker versions of themselves not having George's good influence to shape them into the men he knew. Did you notice that, Bert and Ernie? I don't know if you caught that, but that's their names. In the cemetery, George finds a grave of his brother who fell through the ice as a child and died since George was not there to save him. And thus all the men whom his brother saved in the war were also dead. George's mother, who doesn't recognize him, is a bitter old woman who tells him that Uncle Billy was institutionalized after his clap due to the failed building and loan. And lastly, of course, George's wife uh, is an old spinster who never married, who faints when he tries to tell her who he really is. 
And so obviously Clarence is successful in restoring George uh, to the life that he knows. And he's so thankful uh, for the life that he's been given that all his tr- troubles seem like nothing at all. And of course the movie ends with a town rotting around George and not only saving him, but declaring him to be the richest man in town. Now I share this because in a way Paul takes us on a similar journey with the resurrection of Jesus. What if Jesus had never been raised? So Clarence is going to take us like George on a little journey, uh, what, what would it be like had Jesus never been raised from the dead? Notice these verses again. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 13 through 19 says this, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. And if Christ has not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Jesus have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. So from that passage, we're going to look and see what would have happened had Jesus never been raised from the dead. What are the implications? Paul relates them to us. Number one, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, number one, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. You know, even a casual glance at the world today, even people who don't share our faith could look around and see something's not right. Right? I mean, everything's going wrong. Man's inhumanity against man. We can see this is not the way that it was supposed to be. Man and the world are broken. We see, again, man's cruelty, the strong preying upon the weak. We see starvation and disease. Men struggling with a sense of futility, wondering if there's any meaning to this life at all. The specter of death from which there seems to be no escape. The biblical narrative tells us that there is indeed a reason for all of this, as well as a remedy for it all. Of course, the reason is what we call original sin. Our original parents' rejection of God's paradise because they made a bargain with the devil. We lost the dominion that God gave us and became fallen creatures with a nature alienated from God. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, New Living Translation, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone's sin. Now, my wife was just saying the other day, that's not fair. I wasn't in the garden. Adam did this. Yeah, but we were in Adam. He was our representative. He was our father, our federal head, our representative in the Garden of Eden. When he fell, we were in Adam and we fell with him. And so death first expressed itself spiritually. What was the result of that spiritual death? Well, of course, it was alienation from God. But spiritual death always creates three things. It creates a sense of fear, shame, and alienation from God. I just want to read one small verse after Adam had, you know, partaken of the um, forbidden fruit with his wife Eve. In Genesis 3.10, notice, listen to what he says. God came looking for him in the, cool of the, in the garden in the cool of the day. You remember that? And listen to what Adam says after he had hidden himself from God. He said, so I So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Notice that again. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. There's fear because I was naked. Shame. And I hid myself. Alienation. This is where unregenerate man finds himself today. We're still trying to create fig leaves to cover our nakedness. Every false religion. Every person who feels compelled to give of their riches to try to atone for their evils. Even the laws that we pass to try to make socially acceptable the behaviors that God condemns as evil are our attempt to somehow cover our nakedness with human effort. But the resurrection is the reversal of the evil done in the garden by Adam and Eve. As we said, on the day Adam and Eve sinned, God made for them garments of animal skin. 
showing and prefiguring that blood that must be shed to truly atone for our sins and to cover our nakedness once and for all. Something or someone had to pay for their sin. Blood had to be spilt. The Bible said, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And on the cross, thousands of years later, of course, it would be God Himself who would die. Not merely to cover, but to remove once and for all the stain of sin. The Bible said in Romans uh, 4.25, Jesus was delivered up for our offenses and was raised for our justification. You know, we put a lot of focus on the cross. Even at Easter time, we talk oftentimes more about the cross than we do the resurrection because the cross is where the price was paid. But the resurrection is crucial because it demonstrates that the price was fully paid, thus Jesus was released from the grip of death, hell, and the grave. Without the resurrection, the cross is meaningless. At the cross He died, but at the resurrection, the proof of the payment for our sins was secured. How is that so? Jesus had no sin of His own. The only reason why death had power over Him is because He became the object of God's wrath on our behalf. So once that price was paid, since He had no sin of His own, death no longer had claim on Him, and the grave had to release Him. And indeed, He was released. And so, as He was released, you can say we were released with Him. When He came out of that tomb, we came out of the tomb with Him. Romans 6.4 says, Therefore we are buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And when we identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we come out of that grave spiritually become a new creation, raised to newness of life in Him. We no longer have to fear because we've been reconciled to God. We no longer have to have shame because we've been clothed in His righteousness. And we are no longer alienated because we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. The other day I was on a, uh, uh, actually a podcast with a couple of other ministers and we were talking about when Jesus cried out, it is finished. It's the Greek word tetelestai. And it literally means it is paid in full. It's the same thing that they would stamp on a, on a, 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 on a, a receipt of goods once it was paid in full. So Jesus was saying, I have settled the debt. I have paid your debt in full. There is no longer any charge against you. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If there is no God and no resurrection, then we are just highly evolved animals acting on our own passions, the results of random evolutionary processes. If there is no God and no resurrection, there is no higher meaning to life. And everything really is truly meaningless. If there is no God, if there is no resurrection, then there is no redemption for mankind and for this broken world. But because there is a resurrection, there is the promise of a new life, free from bondage of sin and decay, a purpose for this life in knowing God and participating in His purpose for our lives, as well as a promise that He will not leave this world in its broken condition. Aren't you glad God's going to come back? He's going to take things over and restore this world to the way that it should be. The second implication that Paul gives us, if there is no resurrection, is that those who have gone before us are lost to us forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there is no resurrection, then those who have gone before us in death are just simply gone. And they're gone forever. Those who die in faith have no certain hope if there is no resurrection. 
But we know what the Scriptures teach. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 1-8. through 8. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we are... For we, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the upgrade we're going to get in the resurrection. Uh, you know, I'm 57, I'll be 58 this coming September, and I broke my arm recently in an accident, as most of you know, and, and uh, I went into the doctor the other day, and they did another x-ray, and it looks to me just as broke as it was the day I walked in there. And the doctor turned to me and said, now if you were 15, it would already be healed. And I didn't want to have to tell the doctor who's graduated from college and everything that I'm not 15, but it's kind of obvious that I'm not. I earned this gray hair, and my wife contributed that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway, I am not 15, I'm 57. So I found out that as I age, the corruption that is in this body innately because of sin is evident itself more and more and more. Can I get a witness? But thank God there's coming a day where all of that will be reversed. And the Bible said this mortal shall put on immortality. Amen. What a glorious day that will be. Now Paul teaches that when someone leaves us, when they die, we say that they're absent. Right? Family gatherings, reunion. We say they're absent. God says they're present. So which is it, Paul? Are they present or are they absent? Well, it depends on whose roll call you're talking about. Amen? It says in verse 8, We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Psalm 16.11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. So I would rather be absent than present, if you know what I mean. I'd rather be present in His presence. Amen? For love of family, you know, we might fight to stay here. But I have a sense that once we see the eternal glories of heaven, all the money in the world, all the love of family wouldn't keep us on this side of the veil. Amen? Philippians 1.23, the Apostle Paul, talking about his own life and death situation, said, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. It would have been good if he had just said it's better. But he said it's far better to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. He says that they have left this earthly tent behind in anticipation for a more lasting habitation. In fact, he says, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with that heavenly body that we're going to receive. You know, my mother was quite something else. I've talked to you about her before. Uh, she was, I don't know, she, my mother was her own brand of eccentric. Uh, my favorite thing about my mother's memory was, you know, she would have her hair done once a week like many of the ladies do. And so to keep her hair nice, uh, from appointment to appointment, she would wrap it up in toilet paper every night. Now, it had to be the good toilet paper. It had to be Charmin. It couldn't just be, you know, any old store brand toilet paper. It had to be the best. But there was nothing like watching my friends who were staying the night, watch my mom come through the house in her nightgown and toilet paper. And I know that that left them confused and probably in therapy still to this day. But my mom was just one of those people. She was she was the authenticator of big hair. In fact, everything with my mom was big. Big hair, big big rings, big everything. Her, her clothes to go work at the church and the paint like the parsonage was her dress clothes. I mean, she just never dressed down. And I'll never forget when she, um, you know, was on her deathbed with cancer was taking her life. I remember it had, it had taken away her ability to communicate. It had brought out her gray hair, which she had always kept eternally young. It had decimated her body. 
But when I next see my mother, she won't look like that. She'll look better than I ever saw her in this life. The Bible said in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. Who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able to subdue all things unto Himself. So when Jesus comes back and we're transformed, we'll have a body like His glorious body. He was able to appear and disappear in public. He was able to eat or not eat, depending on His need or desire. Amen? And we're going to have a glorious body that's not going to be subject to death, time and space, or any other fleshly limitation. Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. That is comforting. That death has no ultimate victory over the believer. That life will come from death. That, that immortality will come from this mortal state. Amen? You know, if you live long enough, you're going to bury some loved ones. It's interesting, I've got a reunion coming up, I think it's my 40th, however, I can't believe I've got a 40th reunion coming up, but we do. And so our, our classes have decided to combine five different years to make a full reunion. Why? Because so many, even at our you know, moderate age, have passed away. So just to have good numbers, they're combining all those classes together, five of them, just so that we can have a deal. Why? Because death takes people, Right? And we say we lost them or, or they've, they've gone home to be with the Lord, however we say it. But thank God one day the process of death will be reversed because of the life that's in Christ Jesus. Amen. The good news of the gospel is that we never lose anyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. They're just going ahead. Amen. They're just kind of checking things out for us so that they can give us a guided tour when we get there behind them. Amen. Paul teaches us that those who have departed in faith have left behind the burden of mortality. He said, we who are in this tent groan being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Amen? In other words, we've only begun to experience what God has in store for us. And then lastly, number three, if there is no resurrection, there is no ultimate heavenly reward. 1 Corinthians 15.9 says this, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. You know, we live for God now because we love Him, but also because we believe that there is something that we're living for beyond this life. We do so much preaching about the significance of the Christian life here, and that's good, but I think sometimes we do so at the neglecting of talking about the future that we're heading into. The fact is, this life you're living right now, this is the shortest thing you'll ever do. You're going to step out of this life into eternity that has no end. No beginning, no end. You're going to step into God's realm of eternity. Thank God for that. Amen? We're not made merely to serve God's purposes down here, but we're made for an eternal purpose that He has for each and every one of us. I love this verse in Revelation. Listen to this. Revelation 22, talking about the city that come. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God 
is with men. And He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crime. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. You know, the Bible, for whatever reason, is sparing its descriptions of what we're going to actually do on the other side. But we will not be idle. There will be plenty of Scripture. There's plenty of scriptures to suggest that we will li- live a life of fruitfulness and, and uh, productivity in the life that is to come. I think we could do so with some more preaching on heaven. I think it would inspire the hope of people, particularly in these dark and difficult days in which we live. The Bible said men's hearts are failing them for the fear of the things coming on the earth. And I think we could use with more good news of the story that uh, we're about to step into, the chapters that yet await us in this grand eternal story of our life and relationship with God. The Bible said this hope of heaven has the, has the effect of purifying us in this life. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself even as He is pure. It's in that awareness of the hope that we have. It should motivate us to reach those who have not yet known Christ. To live lives that glorify Him. The Bible said we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us to be reconciled to God. And that's our job, is to help others come into that reconciliation that Christ has provided through His death, burial, and resurrection. You know, an ambassador is a citizen from somewhere else. And it's his mission to represent that other country. So we're not to live like those in the world, we're to live like those that are from heaven. And to allow the heavenly character of Christ to be displayed in and through our lives. Um, There's so much more we could say, but let me just say it this way as we kind of come to a, a close here. That no matter how long you live in this life, it is just a blip on the radar. Even if you were to get your full 120, which I don't even know if many of us really want to live that long. I mean, I've always kind of said, when I get to a certain... You know, the Bible said, with long life, He will satisfy you and show your, your salvation. How long do you plan on living, Randy? Till I'm satisfied. Uh, but you know, anywhere I've ever gone, you know, you go on a vacation, you can go to maybe some of the most amazing places, you can go to, you know, beautiful spots in the world. But how many know there's a time at the end of that vacation, sometimes long before it's ended, you're just ready to go home. You, you know what I'm talking about? Friend, I'm telling you what, there's going to come a time in this life. We've lived long enough, and it's just time to go home. Right? I mean, some of us are probably already looking with longing eyes toward that horizon that's eventually to come, because we know the hope that we have there. No more pain. No more suffering. No more broken forearms. No more whatever, you know? No more taxes. Amen. No more tags to pay every year. Whatever, you know, whatever your, whatever your issue is. It'll all be gone. And we'll step into the glories of eternity with God, where there is no more death, no more suffering, nothing to hurt or destroy, but the hope of heaven with Him forever. And in His presence, as we said, is fullness of joy. Aren't you glad? Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the hope we have in Christ. Father, we thank You, Lord God, that in this life, there is suffering. And even under the best of circumstances, we encounter great challenges. But we thank You, Lord God, that through Jesus Christ, there is a hope of heaven. There is a hope of an eternity with you that in your presence indeed is fullness of joy, that there is nothing that will hurt nor destroy. And so, Father, we give you thanks and praise for that. And while heads are bowed right now, I just want to ask maybe you're here this morning, maybe you've never made that commitment. Maybe you've never said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. 
maybe somebody's watching online and, and thought that same thing. You know, I need to take care of business with God, but I'll do that tomorrow. Friend, we have no tomorrow's guarantee. What you have is right now. The Bible said, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And maybe you've not made that commitment, but you know in your heart you want to. So I want to lead you in a very, very simple prayer. Now, the, the words of the prayer, there's no magic formula here. It's really the communication of your heart's faith toward God. And if you're sincere, and you believe that Jesus has died, as we've said, to pay the penalty for your sins, that God raised Him from the dead for your justification, then I want to pray a prayer, and we can maybe just pray it together this morning. Maybe you've already prayed this prayer years ago. But it wouldn't hurt for us just to help lead others into this prayer, to commit our lives to Christ. But if you want to make sure that you've made that connection with heaven, that you've received the sacrifice that Christ provided, then I want to encourage you to pray this sincerely from your heart to heaven. We'll lead you in the prayer, but make it your heart's communication to God. Just say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. And right now, Jesus, I receive you as Savior and Lord. I commit my life to you. Take over management of my life. I trust you to lead me and guide me into your purpose for my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, let somebody that you came with here today know. Let us know. Let somebody know. Go public for Jesus, right? Amen. Jesus said, if you're ashamed to confess me before men, I'll be ashamed to confess you before my Father and the angels. So let's go public for Jesus. Let's let everybody know that we're happy to be identified with Him. Amen. Praise God.